From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. My name is John Schock. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Today we are going to explore the topic of animal rights. My guest is John Camp. He's the executive director of Vegan Outreach. And John is with me in the studio today. Before I get to this conversation with John, I want to play an audio clip from a documentary film called Eating Mercifully. And the first person you're going to hear in this film is Robert Martin, who is the executive director of the Pew Commission. And then you're going to hear from Reverend Dr. Laura Hobgood-Oster, who is professor of animals and religion at Southwestern University. Again, the film is called Eating Mercifully. I don't think the typical American has the uh, slightest idea where their meat comes from or how it's produced. Up until about 1960, the farmer raised several different crops and they raised some cattle, they raised some pigs, and they raised some chickens. A good farmer was known for his husbandry. The farmer was much more interactive in the lives of the animals they were raising. There was more natural setting, more uh, grazing on grass. Hogs would root out in the field naturally. That production model has changed dramatically over the last 50 years. Over 90% of the meat that you would buy in a grocery store in this country is meat that has come from what were called confined animal feeding operations or factory farms. Those are animals that have been raised and have lived a very short life in very intensive population conditions. It's the only way we can produce as much meat as we're consuming. We're consuming meat ourselves in ways that require us to raise animals for meat in totally inhumane conditions. The examples of mistreatment of animals like uh, dragging down cattle into the slaughter facility or moving them in with a front end loader, it's a symptom of the industrial model. It's a separation of the farmer from close, intimate understanding contact of the animal and, and you're treating it more like a commodity more like a production unit instead of a living animal. That is what is at the heart of the industrial system as far as animal welfare is concerned. It's, it's okay to jam them in a cage if they can't move because they're just a production unit that's gonna be eaten. It's gotta produce more production. That clip is from the documentary film, Eating Mercifully. In the studio with me is John Camp. He's the director of outreach for vegan outreach.org and he's with me in the studio on a tour through Johnson City and this is uh, tell me about how you happen to be in Johnson City and welcome first of all to Religion for Life. <laughs> thank you thank you John so I work for a group called vegan outreach and what we do is focus on college outreach where we go around from college to college giving out booklets giving talks at these colleges right now I'm ending up a six-week tour through the south and so I've been through the majority of the South, and my last stop on the tour is Johnson City, where I will be doing some outreach at East Tennessee State University. And so then it's back home for a break? or Exactly, exactly. Back home in the D.C. area where I oversee our outreach department. So for, for a while, the next few months, I'll be more at my computer uh, doing director work and less time out 
out going from college to college. So you are a staff member of Vegan Outreach. Exactly. I'm a full-time staff member and have been for the last 10 years. So what have you been doing in Johnson City and at ETSU? Yeah. So what we will do is we go to the college campus. We'll have about five volunteers and we'll offer booklets about the mistreatment of farm animals to college students. These booklets are 16 pages. They talk about the modern-day treatment of farm animals, some uh, aspects of animal cruelty, and we promote a vegetarian diet in those booklets. And we give them out free of charge to college students in a friendly, non-judgmental manner. So you you are out on the campus just kind of passing them out as students go by. That is exactly right. Yeah, we see it as a numbers game. We want to just get this information into the hands of as many individuals as possible. And we, if people say no, we accept that. If people say yes, we like that. And that's, that's basically it, just um, getting this information uh, out to as many young minds as possible. And I understand you reached a milestone uh, in terms of passing out leaflets. Yes. So so I might be the most prolific leafleter of all time. Uh, and I just gave out my millionth booklet on college campuses. So that took about 10 years to do. And it was, it was a glorious occasion when I reached that mark. And that happened here? It happened last Friday at the University of Georgia in University Athens. University of Georgia got the millionth. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it, well, congratulations. Thank you. And and, and Athens has my favorite, one of my favorite vegetarian restaurants, which is called The Grit, and my favorite uh, cake, which is called The Chocolate Death Cake. So I got to celebrate with some chocolate death cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So of these million uh, leaflets that you've passed out in this past 10 years, mm-hmm. Can you give just a guess, a speculation of, of what the impact of those leaflets might have been? That's a good question. So we're there's the anecdotal evidence, which is mm-hmm. all the time when I'm out on a college campus, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, I got a booklet from you a year ago, two years ago. I'm now a vegetarian or I'm now a vegan. We get every month we download the number of starter guide. We download a bunch of starter guide requests where individuals either text us or go to our website and order a starter guide as a result of getting one of our booklets. And that's in the hundreds every month. And there's we're now starting to do surveys where we'll go out to one campus and hand out, say, 500 booklets and then go back a few months later and see. And right now it's looking about anywhere from one out of 60 to one out of every 100 go vegetarian or vegan. Um, a decent number of these also individuals also cut back on meat. So we've got uh, the mild meat reducers and the, and the individuals who significantly cut meat from their diet. And so we're doing more and more studies like this. But right now, what it comes out to is for every booklet, every one, two or three booklets, given out, there's about one animal spared from suffering, according to our calculations. And and right mm-hmm. now we're kind of in getting going with being more data heavy and trying to really figure out exactly what our impact is. We know it's we know it's very big, but exactly how big that is is going to be seen in the data in the coming months and years. And you say you've been involved in this for 10 years. Yeah, I started off as a volunteer for Vegan Outreach in uh, 1998. I was reading a book by Ingrid Newkirk, who's the founder of People, People, uh, or of, I'm sorry, of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And 
she recommended uh, some organizations in the back that she liked. One of them was Vegan Outreach. I really liked how Vegan Outreach took an approach that was where, where you're doing outreach to the general public in a nice, considerate manner. Uh, and we're, we don't make outrageous claims. We, we try to um, be really effective with each dollar and make sure it goes as far as possible. So, so I like the approach of Vegan Outreach. I got involved as a volunteer. And then in 2003, because I was a really dedicated volunteer, the president of Vegan Outreach let me know that they had their first paid outreach position open. And I uh, said yes to that. And it's been a labor of love since then. So tell me, uh, before that, uh, how did you have your mind and heart awakened to vegan and, and, and animal rights? Sure, sure. Growing up as a kid, I always was concerned about the underdogs. I tried to sp mm. speak of if somebody was getting bullied mm -hmm. in school, and I kind of saw animals as uh, uh, one of the mo one of the biggest underdogs in uh, society, the, the most vulnerable. And so, I cared about our dog Mandy, who is a standard poodle, and and I would have given anything for her. I started to question why I would pamper one creature and fuel myself on the the flesh of another creature. Uh, I asked my parents about this. My dad grew up on a small farm in rural Iowa in the, tw in the 30s and 40s, and he told me that the animals on his farm led good lives, lives worth living, so I didn't really question it. A few years later, as when I was 18 or 19, I took an ethics course at a just a community college in Lake County, Illinois. And we talked about various ethical issues each class. And one day we talked about farm animal issues. And I learned that there is a big difference in the treatment of today's farm animals compared to when my dad grew up uh, on the small farm in Iowa that's starting around uh, the end of World War II. We started moving animals from, we, we went away from the small farm model and went into more of an industrial scale model where we were keeping farm animals in these large scale sheds. Um, and so I, I came to the realization that today's farm animals don't lead uh, good lives, that they lead most of them lives of suffering. And so I decided that I didn't want to contribute to that. And I went vegetarian. That was 19 years ago. And I learned, I started reading more about the mistreatment of uh, animals on dairy farms and egg laying farms. And I decided that those treat, the treatment of dairy cows and egg laying hens wasn't good either. And I didn't want to contribute to that. So I cut that from my diet and have been vegan for the last 16 years. And so far, so good. I've run a couple half marathons recently. I can bench my body weight. And so, so I'm, I'm doing well on a vegan diet. Well, so that's one of the, uh, the mythologies, isn't it? Uh, that vegan or a vegetarian diet, um, it, it will not make you strong or you'll lose strength or, 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 or it's difficult if you've had, um, perhaps talk about that, but also for people who grew up with meat, making the switch and, and what that good, might mean. Good, good questions. Uh, first, in terms of when any new vegetarian is going to get the question, well, what about a protein deficiency? You know, aren't you concerned about a protein deficiency? Yeah. Being involved in a vegan advocacy movement, I probably know more vegetarians and vegans than anyone. And, sure. um, and I have yet to meet one person who has had a protein deficiency. That's, that's more okay. myth than, mm -hmm. than 
a reality in in America where we have where we're eating enough calories we're we're most likely not going to have a protein deficiency that's not to say that um, vegetarianism is a cure-all but but protein deficiency is not something that if you're eating a well-balanced diet that you're going to need to be concerned about and there are some individuals who are really um, showing this are there there's more and more professional athletes out there who are um, vegetarian and vegan and right now a popular sport is UFC fighting uh, mixed martial arts and there are a few of the toughest guys in there of the last 10 years Mac Danzig Jake Shields and a few others are Mac Danzig's vegan Jake Shields is vegetarian and they're winning bouts uh, fueled on a vegan and vegetarian diet we've also got individuals uh, I think the strongest man in Germany right now who for lifting logs is a, mm. is a vegan. And you've got um, just more and more athletes out there who are, who are showing that you can still be tough and ripped, uh, but also be kind to animals and be, be a vegetarian or vegan. I um, noticed, yeah, I noticed on your website, veganoutreach.org, uh, a photo there of one a bodybuilder. Yeah, exactly. And you also have recipes yeah. For people. Yeah, there's a growing vegan bodybuilder movement. And hmm. so if you were to go to veganbodybuilding.com, you'll find testimonial after testimonial of individuals who have gotten big while being on a vegan diet. Um, your other question was about the... Uh, about the the switch over, and, oh, and, yeah. and if that if that creates uh, challenges for people, I, and people might have the idea that they they are awakened. Mm-hmm. Why well, I, I really I I care about this, but then suddenly they miss meat. Sure, sure. Well, well, there are a few a few things I recommend. One is to that individuals should take this at their own pace. That mm-hmm. that even there's a growing movement right now called Meatless Monday, which encourages individuals to go meatless for Monday. Uh, that that's a good way for individuals to see if it works for them. To to say every Monday I'm gonna go vegetarian. And that's a good way for them to get their foot in the door without totally plunging themselves into it. Some other things are there are now mock meats, meat alternatives that are made out of soy or wheat gluten. And these taste like meat. They have the same texture. They have the same taste. They're also very rich in protein, but they are not meat. So, so that's a good alternative for individuals who really want a meaty taste, but um, want to give up meat. Um, and, and then I think it's really important for individuals to think in terms of um, crowding the meat out of their diet instead of just cutting it, that, that try new foods that will eventually um, force you to crowd other foods out of your diet as opposed to just cutting out meat and then eating low-calorie foods like salad or something like that. So, so find, find foods that work for you, continue to try new foods, and I think ultimately that's a, a recipe for success. You know, at the top of the program, you talked about how vegan outreach um, isn't so much dogmatic or, or in your face, but, it, but it's gradual. I mean, the, the point, as I'm understanding it, is, is reducing the number of animals that are, that are treated cruelly. That is exactly right. That's, that's our goal. We don't, we're not out to, I guess, yeah, that, that's exactly our goal. And we welcome any, anyone on this spectrum from Meatless Monday to full-fledged mm-hmm. vegan. And, and we see every step like that as a step in the right direction. The 
per capita meat consumption in the United States has been starting around the end of 19, the 40s when industrial farming started to take hold. The, the amount of meat consumers were consuming each year was going up and up and up with each passing year. Now, for the first time, we're starting to see it drop. And with that is coming a drop in the number of animals raised and killed, that we're raising and killing about a half billion fewer animals than we were just a few years ago. And that's not necessarily because of an increase in vegetarians and vegans. While there is a slight increase, it's mostly from meat consumers eating less meat. So, so individuals who decide to reduce their meat consumption, even if they're still eating meat, are still playing a role in decreasing the total number of animals raised and killed each year. Yeah, that's a question I wanted to talk about then. How, how have... Um has your work paid off in a second, uh, in, in a sense? Uh, your, how have views evolved regarding animals? Yeah, yeah. We find that in surveys. So, so there's this, uh, this food catering company called Bon Appetit, and they provide food to college students throughout the United States. In 2005 and 2006, they did a survey of their students to see how many were vegetarian, how many were vegan. At the time, 8% said they were vegetarian, 1% said they were vegan. Four years later, the 2009-2010 survey showed that 12% said they were vegetarian and 2% said they were vegan. So there was a 50% increase in the number of college vegetarians. There was a doubling in the amount of vegans. And I know from going around college campuses, I'm now in my 10th year of doing this, that it's I'm getting much less resistance from today's youth than I was 10 years ago. I'm getting more and more people who are saying, I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan, or mm -hmm. this is a really, this is a really important issue. I'm, I'm getting that much more than I was 10 years ago. And, and social, social values and views change over time. And I'm seeing that in terms of uh, how we think of animals. And I think that 20, 30 years from now, it'll even be significantly better. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is John Camp, and he's the director of outreach for Vegan Outreach. Uh, veganoutreach.org is the website, and he goes on tour of various college campuses, is, is currently at East Tennessee State University, uh, offering uh, outreach regarding vegan and vegetarian. Tell me a little bit about those two terms. What What is vegan and what is vegetarian, and what are the different kinds? Good question. So, so for vegetarian, that implies somebody who does not consume any meat, meaning any red meat, white meat, or fish. A vegan is somebody who's a vegetarian but also does not consume dairy or eggs. Within vegetarians, you have individuals like pescatarians who are vegetarian but still eat fish. Uh, you have lacto-ovo vegetarians. Um, or you, you have uh, uh, there's, there's a variety of vegetarians, but really the main difference is vegetarians don't eat any meat, vegans don't eat any meat, eggs, or dairy. So tell me about wh why it is people, in, in your experience, have moved to vegetarian and vegan. What, what, are the, what are the stories out there that they've heard that have convinced them? Yeah, for, for young people, it's mostly for either animal cruelty reasons or to help the environment. Mostly, mm -hmm. mostly amongst college students, it's to reduce animal suffering. They've either seen a video on YouTube, like their video is called Farm to Fridge or Meet Your Meat. They stumble upon those, check it out, see that there's a good amount of animal suffering in today's uh, animal agriculture and decide to go vegetarian. There are individuals who are trying to reduce their impact, their 
basic carbon footprint. Uh, eating meat is worse for the environment, worse for emitting greenhouse greenhouse gases than going vegetarian, eating vegetarian. So, so those are some of the reasons. With older folks, it's more health-based reasons. They're trying to uh, lower their incidence of, say, cancer or hypertension. But, but the individuals who I deal with are almost exclusively college students, and I find that the majority of them have stumbled upon something, either read a book, saw something on YouTube, and are doing it to reduce their uh, animal suffering footprint, I guess. You know, it's interesting, as you're talking about the need to do this outreach. Um, and, and part of that is is because we're, we're so disconnected from the food we eat. I mean, we, are. we don't even know where it comes from. Where, where, right. where does this chicken that we just, well, get a Kentucky Fried Chicken or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have sure. a sense of, of, of where it belongs. And it almost seems as there's a, a conspiracy of sorts to keep us in the dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, animal agriculture thrives by keeping the general public in the dark. They're not inviting the general public onto their facilities. And so that's why, as animal activists, we find it's our duty to bring the factory farms and slaughterhouses to the general public so they can at least know what uh, is going on and make informed decisions on what they eat. Because that's certainly an awakening right there. Once you realize and look at those factory farms and look at how the beef is grown and and, and whatever, or poultry, Very- it's, it's like, and, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's eye-opening and, it, and it's, and it's ch- life-changing. Very much so. And, and on these packages, you're not going to see images of, say, a battery cage that keeps right. uh, hens, that, that hens are kept in for their eggs. You're going to find more images suggestive of old McDonald's farm. And so that's why we find a duty, we, we find it as our duty to let individuals see what really goes on. You know, and you also, at the top of the program, you talked about pets. And that's, that's another um, interesting dynamic. We, yeah. We're treating pets more and more like humans, and yet at the same time, uh, <laughs> a, a disconnect the other way. Yeah, yeah. I, I just read an article that this last year we spent the most amount on our companion animals than we have in any prior year. We spent $55 billion in the United States on our companion animals. And so when I'm doing this work, I think that I'm not, I don't really think of it as something radical. I think that most all Americans already know that we should be decent to animals, that animals are important in our lives. I'm just trying to get them to extend their compassion that they already have for their dogs and cats to a few other species of animals. Mm-hmm. What about the the kind of the global sense here? Uh, uh, is this a particularly American problem of meat eat, meat consumption? Yeah, well, America is the the heart of industrial scale farming is based in America. Unfortunately, in the last 10 to 20 years, we've seen it really take off in other countries. So we've seen it in, say, Brazil and Eastern Europe. And we're seeing in these, the developing countries, as they become more developed and have more disposable income, they're eating more and more meat. So while meat consumption is starting to drop in the United States, it's starting to pick up and the amount of factory farming is starting to pick up in other countries. Just as tobacco companies are moving, are, are seeing a market overseas, so is the meat industry. And they're moving mm. more and more uh, towards overseas markets. So so hopefully, hopefully America can continue to 
use its influencing power on other countries um, in this regard. But but right now we're seeing the general trend is meat consumption is going down in the U.S., going up in some of the developing countries. And so uh, we're just to have a couple of minutes left. My guest, uh, John Camp, uh, Director of Outreach for VeganOutreach.org. How can people make a positive impact? Yeah, individuals can make a positive impact by eating less meat. And they, you can start by going to our website, veganoutreach.org. We often we offer free vegetarian starter guides. So if you were to go to our website, look on the left side of the screen, click on free vegetarian starter guide, order one, we'll get that right out to you. And again, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Eating a few fewer uh, meat-based meals each week does a dramatic amount of good for animals. And if you like that, try going one or two or three days a week, see where that goes, and um, take it from there. That's really, of, of course, you can support groups that are doing good work. I know that Vegan Outreach, uh, the year it was a few years ago that our budget increased by 56%. We were able to reach 56% more individuals that year with our message. So there are groups out there who are making the most out of uh, charitable donations. And so that's a good way to help animals. Those are, those are the two best ways that I think that individuals can make a real uh, tangible impact for animals. I, it seems to me that this movement towards a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet is increasing. More people are catching on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an ex- for me, that's an exciting field to be in. It's, it's nice to see progress in the field that I'm working on. And, and I have no doubt that 20, 30, 40 years from now, our views towards animals will be significantly different than it is now. John Camp, Director of Outreach at Vegan Outreach. Veganoutreach.org is the website. John, thank you for your work, and thanks for being with me today on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. It's been great. On the Vegan Outreach website, there are a number of video clips. They say if you only have time to watch one, watch this one. It is called Farm to Fridge, The Truth Behind Meat Production. Here's just an audio clip. Believe me, the video is much more disturbing. In the next few minutes, you will be given an eye-opening look behind the closed doors of modern farms, hatcheries, and slaughter plants, revealing the journey that animals make from farm to fridge. For nearly their entire four-month pregnancies, mother sows are locked in narrow metal stalls barely larger than their own bodies. Many of the animals develop open sores and scratches. Workers often kick, hit, and yell at pigs to move them. Soon after birth, piglets are castrated by workers who cut into their skin and rip out their testicles. Next, the workers chop off their tails. Both of these painful procedures are nearly always done without anesthesia. Many animals die from botched mutilations. Piglets who become sick or injured or who are not growing quickly enough are killed. Common killing methods include throwing animals into bins and painfully gassing them with carbon dioxide. Others are killed by being slammed headfirst into the ground. At a factory farm in Ohio, workers killed injured sows by hanging them on a forklift to be slowly strangled to death, a practice defended by the pork industry. 
Pigs raised for meat typically live only five to six months, a mere fraction of their natural lifespan in overcrowded pens like this. Workers frequently From the documentary, Farm to Fridge, the truth behind meat production. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Schock, minister at First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find information about this program and links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia. Be well.